How's the weather in the uh, Maryland, D.C. area? Today's not bad. We're a balmy like 46, but we're about to get snow again, supposedly Friday, Saturday. Had a lot of, for us, a lot of snow. Not as much as you're getting though. Oh my God, Cleveland just getting hammered with snow. I'm in Nashville this week for this IMB conference. It's like the high is like 30 degrees today, which, uh, you know, I was not expecting. So. <clears throat> oh, in Nashville, it's 30 degrees? In Nashville, yeah, I know. It's supposed to be there in April. I hope it warms up. Yeah, so. And hopefully Florida's good. Warm. Miami will be warm for sure. Yeah. So, good afternoon, everyone. Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here with the last week in mortgage today, our weekly walk through all the latest happenings and news in the mortgage industry. And uh, each week, uh, very lucky to be joined by one of our lender members as my co-host. And this week, back once again in the co-pilot seat, the Senior Vice President of Mortgage Operations for Capital Bank, Lisa Lang. Lisa, great to see you. Thanks for having me again, Rich. Happy awesome. New Year. Awesome. And always, yeah, Happy New Year. And just a little level set for the audience. If you could tell us a little bit about Capital Bank's uh, mortgage lending operation, general size, scope, anything else unique? Sure. So Capital Bank, we're headquartered in Rockville, Maryland. Um, we do lend in all states. We're FDIC insured bank. We're publicly traded. Um, we have been in mortgage for over about 12 years. And we sit, we're about 30 minutes from Washington, D.C. Right outside D.C. And uh, I'm actually recording this live from the MBA's Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, here this week uh, with some members of the TMC team. And uh, Lisa, anxious to uh, get into a little discussion towards the end of the show uh, about just some of the chatter I'm hearing at, here at the uh, IMB conference, get your general perspective on 2022, the year out in front of us uh, from a mortgage industry perspective. But uh, first, let's start by getting into the news headlines and, you know, top of the headlines right now in the mortgage industry is just the interest rate climate. 30-year fixed rates have shot up higher than they've been in almost two years. Now it's the sharpest spike in 30-year fixed rates since 2016. Uh, seen 30-year fixed rates go into the high threes. And uh, you know, of course, at the center of all this is just the Federal Reserve and you know, some of their policy stance changes. Of course, the Fed this week is conducting their first two-day policy meeting. Uh, they kicked off today. We'll conclude tomorrow with the statement. And uh, certainly a, a lot of market and investor and mortgage industry eyes and ears on the Fed and uh, what they'll be doing. Expectations right now are really for four interest rate hikes uh, here in 2022. Uh, tapering, of course, of their bond purchases, which has helped keep mortgage rates low throughout the pandemic, and a trimming of their balance sheet. And uh, would like to really start the show off by just getting your perspective on the interest rate climate, how it's affected uh, business at Capital Bank, and you know maybe how interest rate interest rate policy you see it just affecting our industry and you guys in general this year. 
We are, and we started seeing it fourth quarter of last year, but we continue to see margin compression. Our sales team almost daily is reaching out to secondary, uh, myself with, you know, different rates that their consumers are getting, their potential borrowers from other lenders to see if we can match it, beat it, um, which is, you know, we didn't see that very much all of 2021, 2020, and it's happening daily. Um, I expect that's going to be the trend for us throughout 2022 as well. All lenders, you know, are looking to make a profit. And I think people are looking to see if they can do that deal and close it with some profit versus knowing it's not what we're used to making per loan, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, margin compression, certainly part of the talk here at the IMB conference. And yeah, you're right. I mean, to your point, really not, not much of that at all. Uh, these last 18 months, a lot of refi business business was very flush for mortgage lenders and people weren't having to price to win and refi is obviously less of a rate sensitive product to purchase, but lenders like Capital Bank starting to feel it now, having to sharpen the pencil a little bit, sharpen the pricing pencil, dig a little deeper to win business and to keep that pipeline populated full of deals and uh you know most likely seems like that margin compression crush probably will get a little tighter before it starts to loosen no it will and we also which we always have but even now it's critical that the pipeline all you know our managers along with our sales team are managing their pipeline you know the days of oh, my borrower went out of town, let's go ahead and cover those lock extensions, you know, they're a repeat customer, those days are done. You know, we're not looking to extend locks. We need to get our pipeline closed within the lock period. Your excellent head of capital markets, Heidi Sinowick, uh, working hard these days, right? I, my background and uh, as a secondary guy, when we go through these climates like this where rates shoot up, I remember being just a young secondary guy and it's stressing me out if I didn't have my pipeline hedged correctly. And to your point, just pipeline management in general, right? The days of the free rate lock extensions uh, out the window with uh, 30 year fixed rates, half a percent higher than <laughs> they were when a lot of these rates were locked. Heidi and I are spending a great portion of our day. Um, you know, we want to, we need to support the sales team. We are looking, and you and I talked a few minutes before the show, um, you know, we need expanding our product mix. Um, you know, if we can match, you know, pricing, we will. But our secondary team and Heidi's team on the desk is getting an influx of rate renegotiations. You know, and as always, I joke all the time, all the economists, they're always wrong. Uh, that's why I joke and make outlandish projections because it's just, you know, you go back even a couple months ago, every economist tied to the mortgage industry predicted, right, this slow ascent from 3% right. to three and three quarter percent throughout the course of 2022. Here we are in GN25, we're at three and three quarter percent already. <laughs> and who knows what's coming from the Fed? Uh, you know, as noted earlier, uh, I think right now you have a better chance of four 25 basis point uh, Fed funds rate hikes priced into the market as opposed to three. Uh, there are some that believe you could get a 50 basis point hike. Almost everybody expects that first hike is going to come at the next Fed meeting in March. But if with inflation, a just really continuing and worsening issue, 
Uh, if the Fed were to come out today, uh, you know, with some more aggressive language about, say, a, the 50 basis point hike in March, I mean, we could see 30 year fixed rates in the fours uh, sooner rather than later. And I think what we're seeing a little bit now is in talking to some of our members and some people here, some panic buying by people that want to buy homes, those people that maybe were shopping for a home last spring when all hell just broke loose with, you know, all the offers and all the demand and, oh, I'll wait till values come plummeting down. Well, values didn't come plummeting down. Values have continued to rise. Now, interest rates have continued to rise. So we've seen in like the MBA um, daily mortgage application index, as rates have gone up throughout January, so have purchase applications seem to indicate that it's acting as a catalyst to people that want to buy a home. Have you seen that at Capital Bank throughout January? We have, but we are watching, you know, as we know, this administration really is targeting home affordability. And if we continue to see rate increases along with housing appreciation, that is going to impact the first time home buyers and their affordability in qualifying for these mortgages. That's a great point. It feels like things are coming to a crossroads. You have a presidential administration that has talked so much about bridging the home ownership gap in America uh, between uh, minorities, non-minorities, people of above average income and people below or at average income. Yet home values keep skyrocketing. <laughs> Interest right. rates keep going up. <laughs> Affordability already was tough. Now it's just getting even tougher and it just, with such a focus on first-time home buyers, it, it feels like some sort of government intervention. It feels like something's coming because the Something rubber, has to give. You can't have got to give. Something's yeah. got to give. Yeah. And in the D.C. area, for instance, where you know, although we lend in all states, like I mentioned, we do a tremendous amount of community lending, and the D.C. area. And the price of a first-time home house, which used to be considered a starter home, now would be like a second or third move-up home for consumers. So it's just getting more and more difficult for the first-time home buyers to find a home. Even when you take the inventory piece out, it's the qualification. You know, yeah, we've talked about things that could help the supply issue if it's incentives for home builders to buy or build lower priced homes or incentives for individuals that own investment properties, maybe to put them for sale on the market. Uh, another thing that's been bandied about is a reduction in the FHA mortgage insurance premiums. And we got a report that came out a couple of days ago, and it was, I think, like an anonymous HUD official had kind right. of indicated to one of the industry publications that FHA would be fully weighing uh, an MIP cut after the conclusion of the first quarter. To me, with what's going on with affordability and values and rates, it seems like I would, I'd be willing to bet that we're going to see a reduction in FHA mortgage insurance premiums as part of the purported solution going forward. Your thoughts on that? I agree. I read that same article and I actually reread it um, last night. I read what they said. They are waiting to see where the delinquencies, you know, we do have a lot of people coming out of forbearance, but they're going to have to make a decision one way or the other. You know, they're not going to get all the data they need for that. But in order to 
maintain the mission of this administration and maintain home affordability, they are going to need to reduce. This is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. This week, joined by Capital Bank Senior Vice President of Mortgage Operations, Lisa Lang. Lisa, in addition to inventory and affordability and rates, uh, another real top of mind issue for mortgage lenders right now uh, is just the regulatory climate. A lot of talk here about fair lending and audits. I uh, want to pick your brain on that in a little here. Uh, also, a report came out also this week, a really scathing 80-page report from the National Fair Housing Alliance uh, on appraisal reform, essentially calling for sweeping appraisal reform, some pretty startling things in this report, uh, which essentially pointed to uh, situations where very similar homes in white and non-white areas were appraised at different values, um, stating that uh, the appraisal industry uh, really has major gaps and no sort of fair housing training, uh, that there's barriers to entry in the appraisal industry, which really lacks diversity, saying 86% of appraisers nationally are white, when only 61% of Americans are white. So it uh, feels like here, in addition to uh, some of the things we know we'll see from CFPB as it relates to just fair lending and tracking of fair lending, that we could, this seems like the first domino in what is likely to be some major, major reforms to the appraisal industry in America. Did you see this report from the National Fair Housing Alliance and any thoughts on it as a key operational leader in our industry? So I did, I was aware the report came out. I haven't read, you know, all 80 pages, but I did um, read pertinent pieces. I do think this is an opportunity for the Mortgage Bankers Association, our industry, along with NAMBA, um, and all of our colleagues to address this issue. Um, people should be reaching out to the community, training on home ownership, and many of our appraisers in the industry are self-employed. The more diverse and people we bring in to the industry, it's the opportunity to create small businesses. So as an industry, we should really, really consider this an issue that we should all jump into and look for a resolution. Great points. And yeah, something you're likely to see coming because, you know, and again, going back to the affordability issue, MBA also released this week their builder application survey, which tracks like newly built homes and uh, you know, the statistics on you know, the people going into them. And uh, one, uh, new home apps, newly built home apps in December down 5% from November. But I think more startling in the report is the average loan size of a newly built home in America. And again, you know, these are mostly going to be at least 20% down. A lot of these new builds, 423,000. Um, you know, which is painting and pointing towards values on these new homes. We know this is 600, 650, and not a lot of affordably priced inventory coming into the market. I mean, really uh, kind of crazy to think about. The conforming loan limit just a few years ago was 417,000. Right. And now the average loan size on new homes is 423,000. It uh, and you're, you know, where you guys are at, 
Northern Virginia, DC. It's even more exaggerated. I, you know, I got some family there, right? It's like condos starting at 800,000. It, uh, you talk about like something having to give here. Uh, it really feels like just, there's no affordable housing in America. No, and the supply chain issues are wreaking havoc on the new home industry. I mean, people are, we in this area in particular, and we do have a builder local to the DC area, um, they cannot get stoves in, they cannot get garage doors in. And then I have seen, well, they'll be like, well, if you get this one, I can get this one in, it might be a couple hundred dollars more, but you could settle on time. Um, and they, you know, they'll run up to Home Depot or wherever, but the cost is just continuing to increase with no end in sight. Um, it's interesting, you know, our industry it used to be when I would get escrow requested for seed and sod. It was never for garage doors and dishwashers and microwaves and appliances. So, but I'm not seeing it get any better. So if anything, it's getting worse. And it's oh, continuing to drive up the cost. It really for is. myself personally, I've been reconstructing a house and all my appliances have been on back order since August. It's kind of crazy how the pandemic has impacted our industry, housing in America, the supply chain, things that go into houses. Just Furniture. really surreal still to the, I mean, it is really crazy to me that uh, just the, the dramatic impact that uh, we've seen on, on just housing in general in America uh, due to the pandemic. So, and all of this is not helping with affordability. It's doing quite the opposite. Absolutely. Um, on the regulatory front, uh, Flagstar Bank made some news in the wrong way this week, $3.6 million fine levied by the OCC, who I believe Capital Bank is regulated by, uh, just related to flood insurance, lack of controls and improprieties. And uh, uh, Lisa, I think you recently went through uh, some audits at the bank. And yeah, I would love if you could just shed a little light on that for our audience. Uh, and you guys are regulated by the OCC, correct? We are. And we actually, in November, we finished actually the first week in December. Um, we went through an OCC audit at the same time we went through a HUD audit and a fair lending audit. I would, whether you're a bank or an independent, you just want to make sure you're working with your compliance team for a robust compliant process and procedure. I will say the OCC specifically requested files that required flood insurance. Um, they wanted to check those flood policies, make sure we premiums were correct, we collected correct, um, the coverage was correct. And I've been through many OCC audits um, and flood was never really one of the big things that until recently that they were really looking for. So it just happened to be, and then I read about Flagstar, you know, after our audit, but it's definitely, um, a hot button for the OCC right now. Yeah, interesting insight there. And you're right. I in my bank days, I don't remember flood insurance being a, a real area of focus. But uh, um, yeah, it, that's interesting perspective. And it uh, yeah, it, 
feels like breadcrumbs are being dropped by the regulatory community on things that they're really going to be focusing on. If it's appraisals and the appraisal industry and flood insurance, and of course, fair pricing is always right. Pricing, you know, and Heidi, who, you know, but she's set up our capital markets. Um, we're very diligent about our pricing and fair lending. So there was no, you know, concern there. We report and track everything, but of course they wanted to see that documentation. Any lender out there listening that is not tracking every secondary desk price exception on a rate that differs from what is your normal daily rate, uh, that is something you need to implement immediately, right, Lisa? Immediately. We actually spent two days at three hours apiece, um, myself, secondary and compliance. You know, it was just part of the normal review, but you know, they, you don't know what loans they're going to pick. It's random and you just have to be ready to provide the documentation. And then you provide it and then they come back with any questions, but they're gonna pull your whole pipeline, you know? So you do, we document everything and then we reconcile it. Um, Cause you don't wanna wait right before you're getting told the OCC is coming in. There's no way to prepare for that. You have to do it right ahead of time. Especially with the volume everybody has been doing over the last couple of years. If you're not doing it the right way, there's no way to prepare for it. Yeah, and they can look back as well. I mean, the excuse, oh, I was so busy with refinances during 2020. That's not going to... That's exactly what they're looking for, to make sure even when you're busy, you are doing things the right way. This is the last week in mortgage today. Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative broadcasting live from the MBA's Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, joined this week by Capital Banks, SVP of Mortgage Ops, Lisa Lang. And Lisa, a lot of talk about that here this week at the IMB conference, just regulation in general. Uh, you know, a lot of lenders are out there recruiting right now heavily. That's a big part of what's going on right now. And you know, just talking about things that they're seeing from competitors that are either recruiting their people or people they're recruiting that are telling them essentially compliance horror stories from uh, other shops that they're at. And uh, it's going to be interesting because, uh, you know, we're in just, you know, haven't seen this movie before. We're in one of these climates right now coming off a massive period of refinancing and projections of drops in volume 30 to 40 percent where lenders operate more recklessly amidst uh, margin compression and trying to win business and keep the pipeline filled with these large operation staffs of people that have been hired these last couple of years. And, uh, you know, I think you got a regulatory community that is, uh, you know, very aggressively um, pursuing things. So uh, any you could see some some lenders that are made examples of. And uh, if you're a loan originator and are listening to this, man, do you really want to make sure if you leave or stay where you're at, that you end up at a shop that has their compliance ducks in order? Because uh, it's going to be a big part of our industry these next couple of years, no? It's going to be a huge part of our industry. We've all been, all of us that have been in mortgage for a long time, no, we've always been a highly regulated industry. It just seems yearly we're under more scrutiny. Um and it's not going to let up anytime soon. It doesn't appear. Some other talk here, just in general, like staffing levels. Uh, you know, I, I, I heard more than a couple lenders that I've talked to this week said, 
like I don't mind being overstaffed by 10 or 15%. Actually, I'd prefer to be going forward, but I can't be overstaffed by 30, 40, 50%. Seems like there's a lot of that right now in the industry and not at all shops. I mean, I think the way that lenders handled the volume we saw the last two years was different. Some got over aggressive and just threw bodies at it that now are having to pay the piper. Uh, others handled it more conservatively, but uh, just your thought in general on just operational staffing levels and kind of going into a market that's likely to be really devoid of, of refine, how you see that all shaking out and playing out over the course of 2022. So we knew this was going to happen, right? As now we took a little bit different stance where, um, and I know I've talked about a couple of times when I've been on before, but you know, two years ago when the market imploded, I met with all of my managers and, you know, I was never a believer in you just hire and fire during the market, the good times and bad. I took a different approach where who wants to work overtime, who wants to work nights and weekends. We never, who's going to work for additional incentives. So we didn't go out and hire um, just knowing that it would end. So we're, we try and mitigate that. Um, and I'm a big advocate of cross-training. So are there some employees that I may move to different roles? Because um, we've taken, we have new initiatives that we're working on as well too. So I need new resources for those initiatives that we have implemented going into 2022. So for us, we're in a pretty good spot with staffing, unlike you know some of the other places we've seen in the headlines where when you hire 2,000 people in the market and you do predominantly refinances, you know that there's going to be some decisions that have to be made there. But I do know, no matter what, our business always seems to follow that same pattern. Really does. And uh, also a lot of talk here just about uh, different outlets in the secondary market, if it's the private label security market or uh, non-QM investors or other non-conforming products. Um, you know, just, you know, again, in a purchase only market without a lot of refinance, those products are going to become a bigger piece of the pie. Uh, operationally more complex. Uh, are you guys doing any kind of non-conforming lending uh, as a bank, uh, anything in the portfolio and just operationally, you know, how you look at those products that aren't cookie cutter, LP, DU, uh, conforming loans and you know that that potentially being a, a bigger piece of the pie as we move forward here. So the short answer is yes, we're looking at all products um, to bring on. Now we are a bank. Um, we do have the ability to portfolio, um, but that's not the bank's primary objective. Um, so we are Heidi and I are going to work on possibly a capital bank product for our portfolio, but that's a process that, you know, since our bank has to go through multiple levels to get approved. But besides that, we are looking at other product offerings to support the sales team that we, it's not that we wouldn't have, but we, there was no need to bring them on in the last, you know, two years, but now there is, we just always have to shift with the market. Um, we, did see a turn starting last year. So we already started working on it. Um, I think, you know, the sales team is excited to have some new products also. I think it re-energizes them. And when the market turns, it gives them something that they can get excited about and try and get more business. 
because as a salesperson, it's not just on the operation side. When the market turns, it's hard on sales. You know, the days of just sitting at your desk and your neighbors and everybody deals are falling and you walk out to your mailbox, those days are gone. So when you're hundred percent commission, that can wear on you. So we have to constantly find something to give the sales team to support them as well. You know, and I think our depository members, what I've been hearing, right? Like when, when 30 year fixed rates are two and a half, no bank wants to put a 30 year fixed rate loan in their portfolio at two and a half percent. Just the laws of interest rate risk. And <laughs> that loan is likely to be like that two and a half percent loan today is worth 95 cents on the dollar, the way that you got to value that and mark that to market. But with 30 year fixed rates, potentially being at 4%, you got a couple of things that are happening. One, it makes it more palatable for a depository institution to put that loan on the books at four or four and a quarter percent. Two, the ARM product, 30, if 30 year fixed rates are 4%, all of a sudden a 5-1 ARM at 2.75, you start to look $450,000 loan. The amount of money you save at 2.75 versus 4% over that first five years, ARMs become more viable. Uh, have you got, I mean, now they're not really viable yet, but we keep going in this direction. It could be, have you guys thought about that at all or looked at that? We are looking at ARMs and also non-DEL, non-QM. Um, we do think arms are going to be a player because there's, as we know, rates are going to increase. And that you're exactly right. People are, and this also can help with qualification, you know, and a lot of people are going to say, okay, well, I can make this payment for a certain amount of time. And the challenge is you have to be like, am I going to be able to refinance out of it? Um, and that's just, you have to really talk to your consumer, know their financial position and what the future is going to look like. Because you don't want people to get kind of what we had years ago where they, when they it adjusts, they can't afford that increase. Certainly a whole host of different issues that we're discussing here in January of 22 than we were in January of 21 when rates were still really low. And, uh, you know, we were really writing a lot of refi business and things just, have really 180 here in the mortgage industry. And it'll be interesting to see how the year plays out. Anything else that just you particularly or the bank is uh, looking at for this year or things you think we could see or any other general perspective on the year ahead of us as uh, we get into the second month of the year? Well, what's interesting too, I'm sure many of us all started in the mortgage industry and our rates were a lot higher than they are now. We talk you know, three and a half, four, four and a quarter, like it's 15%, um, which it's not. Um, so we have to, you know, at some point, the perception needs to become reality where it's still not a horrible rate. It's not 2%, but it's not 10%. So there's going to have to be some adjustment there. I mean, rates were never going to stay as low as they were forever. Nothing ever does. Um, but I know when I first got in, I'm going to age myself, you know, rates weren't even close to being this low. Um, so I, there's still a lot of, you know, the American dream is for people to purchase a home and there's still always going to be options to do that. That's great perspective. And you're right, right? 30 year fixed rates are 3.6, 3 3.7%. They're not six or seven or 10% still historically incredibly low uh, home values are going up and uh, i think you're starting to see that i think you have a lot of these wannabe home buyers or move up home buyers that 
you know, were interested in buying a home in the spring or the summer and didn't because they thought things were a little bit too crazy. And now they're like, like, I, you know, kind of feel the impetus to do so if they really are that motivated. And I think that will hopefully help really uh, get the year off to a good start on the purchase side, because we're going to need a strong purchase year um, to really carry the year for the industry, just simply because of how many people refinanced into twos and that's ship has kind of sailed. It has, except for your people that need to do cash out, you know, and we'll see some renovation loans. Um, so there's still going to be business. It's just people are going to have to work for that business and companies are going to have to provide the avenues for their sales team to sell. You guys do equity lines at Capital Bank. Is that something you've started to think about? At the on the bank, yes, on the bank side. Mm -hmm. Yep, Excellent. we do. Lisa, always enjoy your perspective on the industry and uh, having discussions with you. Really appreciate you joining me yet again uh, in the co-host seat on the last week in mortgage today. Thank you, and I appreciate it. Thanks for having me again, and good luck at the conference and come back with lots of good information. I will try to do so. And to our attendees, thanks as always for joining us. We're here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And uh, of course, uh, we upload these videos to our YouTube channel and uh, also make them in the podcast where I know a lot of you listen. So if you're not subscribed to our podcast on Spotify and iTunes, uh, you can find that at TMC Connect in either of those stores. So until next week, have a great rest of the week, everyone. We'll see you next Tuesday. Take care. Bye, Bye Lisa. Bye.